Perception. Perception is reality. Reality. Perception is reality. Some talk shows think all of their opinions are right. This one, this one knows they are. This is Perception is Reality. Christopher H. Bilbury is a no-nonsense, well, maybe a little bit of nonsense, political activist, local government watchdog, and all-around good Hoosier and God-fearing American citizen. Is this guy for real? Holding lawmakers accountable and educating citizens on the importance of participating in their local government with a dab of national and world politics and a little pop culture and maybe some real-life common sense. This, this is, is Perception is Reality. And this is Christopher H. Bilbrey. Hello, folks. This is the episode I've promised for quite some time. Episode 58, Perception is Reality's Intro to American Civics. Please, please share this episode with everyone that you know through word of mouth, over the social medias. You can find us on all major podcast hosting sites. Keep that in mind. You'll be able to share this with your friends and your family, your co-workers, your loved ones, your neighbors, and the folks that you don't know. They can find us on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, Radio Public, and many, many more as well as the home link of perception.fireside.fm. So for those of you that are familiar with the show, you're going to know this. For people who are just tuning in today as a first-time listener, there are two shows a week, Tuesdays and Saturdays, most of the time. Sometimes they're bumped a day or two. We're going to continue with the Tuesday and Saturday audio format. I just want to let you know the Saturday episodes for the next foreseeable future will be focusing on this civics series. So this is the intro to the civics course. And then next Saturday, there will be the part two. And the following Saturday will be part three. And we'll just go through that until we get an understanding and we feel like we have come to a natural conclusion. So make sure that you're sharing this episode with everyone that you know, and let's try to bring in a good listener base, because one thing that I can tell you from my understanding and my participation in government is people seem to be more involved today than they were, say, three years ago, four years ago, and that's good. But there are a lot of people that feel shy about participating. Some people don't vote. They're interested and they're involved and they talk on social media and they might attend a meeting, but they still don't fully engage. And so looking at civics and going through all of this hopefully will give you what you need to be able to fully engage and be a citizen who is bettering your government through citizen involvement. So when we come right back on the other side of this quick break, we're going to be getting into it and going over the overview and talking about 
civics, the national government, the state government, and the local government, and how you play a role or should play a role and why you should play that role in those governments. You're listening to the 58th episode of Perception is Reality, Intro into American Civics. I'm Christopher H. Bilbrey. This is Perception is Reality, and we'll be right back. I'm probably okay to have one more drink before I drive home. I'm probably okay. I open the window to stay alert. Probably okay. I just popped some gum in my mouth. Step out of the car, please. I probably made a mistake. Probably okay isn't okay when it comes to drinking and driving. If you see a warning sign, stop and call a cab, a car, or a friend. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A message brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Perception. Perception. Perception is reality. Reality. All right, folks, welcome back to episode 58, intro into American Civics. If you've ever sat down and tried to look up this topic, you'll notice that there's not a lot of information out there. Now, I mean, yeah, when I say that, there are tons of YouTube links and blogs and journal entries and different things all across the internet about specific areas of civics or that take a look at, say, for example, the Declaration of Independence or that cover voting for president or that talk about Wisconsin's look at their city council. But there isn't a broad defined, this is what goes on in American government and here is your 20 or 30 minute segment episodes where they talk about all of this in one place. And I was looking at that when I was looking about making this to see kind of how the pace went, and there's just not really much out there. So I hope that you're able to use this if you're in high school, if you have kids or grandkids that are in high school, if you're in government class. And see, that's the thing. Like I said, they used to teach civics. If you're of a certain age, you'll know that you had civics classes in school. And slowly, those started turning from civics classes into social studies classes. And then that became history. And they offer government classes in school. I took a government class, and I, for one, will say I was interested in all this stuff, so I got a lot out of my government class. I had a great teacher at Delta High School in Delaware County, Indiana, and it was fantastic, but I was interested. If you weren't interested in the class, eh, maybe you didn't get a whole lot out of it. I, I don't know, but it's not a requirement. And so unless you're a poli-sci major or you're really interested, you know, you might not know this. And I'll tell you, I talk to people all the time that don't really understand how the council works or how commissioners and the mayor work or don't work. And it just says a whole lot about the American education system. I mean, you know, I for one think that they need to be teaching people how to apply for home loans and how to go and buy a car and teach people how to balance checkbooks instead of just doing a week course in some math class about that. That needs to be something that's done the whole year through. Teach people real 
information like that. Part of what we're getting ready to talk about here is why they don't do that. Because if you were taught civics, and if folks knew what their rights were, and knew that they could redress the government, and if people really knew how to do this and felt comfortable, well, then the government couldn't pull their shenanigans because we would be out here speaking out against them. So in this episode, we're going to be taking a look at civics and giving you the keys, at least, for you to start feeling like you have a little bit better understanding of what's going on and, more importantly, how you can change things that you don't like in your local government, your state government, and, yes, even the national government. Keep in mind that in government and in politics, knowledge is power, and that's going to be the number one thing. I say a couple things. To better government, you need citizen involvement. You'll hear me say that a lot. And in order to be a citizen that feels as though you can be involved, you'll have to be educated and informed. That way you feel comfortable with acting. And that's what we're going to try to do. Knowledge is power. You will also hear me say a whole lot that something is better than nothing. And it's better late than never. And so I just want people to understand you're not going to listen to this episode and the next several episodes and be necessarily at the same place that I am, or I'm not going to be at the same place that somebody who's been involved for the last 40 years, because it takes time. And that's the thing that you need to understand. I've heard a lot of people say, oh, I feel like this is all over my head. And sometimes it does feel like that. But honestly, just a little bit of understanding, a little bit of knowledge, and just participating in the process just a little bit can really get you feeling like you have an understanding. And that brings me to another important key. You don't have to do this all on your own. That's why I want people to be listening to this episode and to the podcast as a whole, because I want to create a network of people, whether we agree or disagree, just a network of people who can come together and we can help each other out. And I can attend this meeting and you can attend that meeting. And if I'm absent from a meeting, you can fill me in and we can all work together. That's what this is. So please, like I've said, and I'm going to say throughout the series, continue sharing specifically these episodes, but the podcast as a whole, because what we cover here really does have a purpose in helping bring people to a point where they feel like they can be involved. So why is this important? Well, if you've ever wondered what your tax dollars go to or who collects the trash that you set out every week, or who isn't fixing the roads that are supposed to be fixing the roads, or who isn't plowing the streets when there's snow on the streets, who is in charge of making sure that firemen have the gear they need to get to your house if, God forbid, you have a fire? What about the driver's license that you need and paying money to the BMV? What about the license to hunt or the license to get married? What about needing to be 21 years old to drink, but 18 to go to the military, or 18 to vote? 
Vote. What is voting? How do you vote? Who should vote? Why should more people be educated to vote? What about police protection? Or what about police corruption? Police searching people. When can they search you? When should you know your rights and should you speak up? Sometimes it's better to be quiet. Sometimes it's better to speak out. When can you say what? And what does all of this mean? Who sets these laws and these rules? And how does it all play a part in your life? And how should you play a part in making things better if things aren't good? Or if they are good, what do you need to do to keep them that way? And that's the key here. And we can really take a look at all of this on a local level, on a state level, and on a national level. Because basically, it's all built off the same principle. And it's all built on the system of checks and balances. And the government is basically just a bigger or smaller version of what's right below or above it. So looking at American civics, before we really start getting into the nuts and bolts, there are a couple key things that we need to look at. One, virtue, the traits of character necessary for the preservation and improvement of democratic governance. A, respect. B, civility. C, integrity. D, self-discipline. E, tolerance. And F, compassion. And we'll break that down more as we get into it. Part two is knowledge, and this is really a big part here. This is what is going to guide you on everything else. Your knowledge and your understanding of what the government is, how the government is supposed to work together, and how you fit in the government, what you're supposed to allow, what you're not supposed to allow, and how you can work to make things better or fight to keep them the same, whichever one works for you. We're going to go over the principles of democratic theory. We're going to talk about the founding fathers and what went into the Declaration of Independence, and we're going to talk about setting up the American government and how they set it up, meaning the three branches of government, having the checks and balances over each other and how the states play into that and what they thought about the states versus the national government. You know, the reason state law is different from state to state is because each state is different. What's going on in Seattle, in Washington, is not the same thing that's going on in New York City. So because of the land and the geography being different and the amount of people that's in any given place is different, and because of different types of goods that are produced there and various other aspects of what go on in each individual state, that is kind of what dictates what has been set up for that state. And the Founding Fathers really felt strongly about states' rights. And so we're going to talk about that and go over the fact that no state can make any laws that take away from the laws that you've been given under the Constitution on the national level, the same way no county or no city 
or no town can make an ordinance that makes basically a law over the state or federal government. And so these are all things that we're going to talk about and we're going to get into as we take a look at civics in the national, state, and local levels. When you look at how the national government is made up with the executive, the legislative, and the judicial branch, basically, that's the same way that the state government is made up, and that's the same way that your local county, city, and town governments are made up. It's basically just smaller models of the government just a step above. So town and city and county governments are just smaller examples of the state government, and the state government in turn is just a smaller model of the national government. So we're going to look about all that. We're going to also go into the different offices and the different elected positions. Who can be mayor? Who can be city council? Who can be judge? And who can be prosecutor? Who can be sheriff? Who can be state senate and state representative? What age do you have to be to be a United States senator? Who can run for president? And more importantly, what all of these positions do, what they're supposed to be doing, and what they're not supposed to be doing, and how, again, we interact with each and every one. And that will then wrap up the knowledge Portion, and then we'll go into part three, which is skills, the cognitive skills, the skills that will allow citizens to understand, explain, and compare, and evaluate the principles and practices of government and citizenship. And it will teach you how you are to be able to interact with your local government, how you can interact with your state senator, how you can interact with your states senator to Washington, D.C., and what rights that you have, what you're allowed to do, what you shouldn't do, and how to better protect you, your family, your friends, and how you have the power through your involvement to make the government better. That's the overall goal here. Again, better government through citizen involvement. So we'll be looking at the virtue, we'll be looking at knowledge, and we'll be looking at skills. But before we get into that, we need to probably start off with the very beginning. When England first sent colonists to the New World and they set up their colonies and they were doing what they could to make a new world over here. And they got tired, basically, of having to send all of the money back to England in the form of different taxes, you know, taxation without representation, and they felt like they were being ignored, and they wanted to be separate from the monarchy, in England. So they decided to break free from that and declare their independence from the King of England. And now if you go back and you listen to bonus episode from July 4th, 2019, I actually read through the Declaration of Independence for the 4th of July, and you can find that episode by going to 
perception.fireside.fm backslash July 4th. So I'm not going to read that here, but the declaration basically breaks down to the colonists explaining why they should break away from Britain, and it tells that people have rights that cannot be taken away from them. It lists the complaints that they have against the king, and it argues that the colonies have to be free to protect the colonists' rights. At the bottom of the document, the delegates all sign their names so that the king of England would know. And these folks knew what this would mean. They were aware that this would be war and that they could possibly die, but it was worth fighting for. And it's very important that if you want to have an understanding that you at least skim through the Declaration of Independence. So Google it, or I will put the link to my reading of the Declaration in the summary of this and the introduction so that you can click on that and go back and listen to that as you read through it. It's very interesting and it's very important. It's also important to note that in the Declaration of Independence, there are four very important words. The consent of the governed. And the full quote is that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed, that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute a new government laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. This country was built on the idea that consent of the governed was key. So we give our consent to be governed. We also have the right and the duty to stand up and say, nah, 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 we ain't playing it this way. And that's why it's important to understand these facts and understand your rights and know that we, the people, are in control. That the government works for us and based off of our consent. And that is the basic building blocks of what our American system of government was built on. From the national level, to the states, and all the way down to the town that has 200 citizens and a three-person town board. It's the same thing, that the government works for the governed. We are in Control And the Founding Fathers, the Framers, the Dregs of Society, whatever you want to call them, set up this government. They did so with people and our rights in mind. And they set up the government that we have that's lived through to today. But what kind of government do we have? You'll hear people argue that the United States is a republic, not a democracy. But that's not exactly correct. A common definition of a republic 
is a political order in which the supreme power lies in a body of citizens who are entitled to vote for officers and representatives responsible to them. And that does fit us. But the definition of democracy is government by the people exercised either directly or through elected representatives. And that fits us as well. The United States of America is not a direct democracy in the sense of a country in which laws and other government decisions are made up by the majority vote. That's not what we have going on here. Some lawmaking is done this way at smaller levels, town, city, and some state governments, but a very small percentage is done that way. The majority of what we have going on here is set up as a representative democracy which is what we have and what I believe we have. You could call it a constitutional democracy because we have a constitution. I prefer to call it a constitutional representative democracy. That is a type of government characterized by limitations on the government power spelled out within a written constitution. Our constitution written in 1787 is the oldest and shortest written constitution in the world and it serves as the supreme law of the land of the United States from the point it was written through to today. And isn't that absolutely wonderful? Okay, and so the Constitution outlines a government, a federal government, with three separate branches, and that's what provides the checks and balances. And it's also those three separate branches which you're going to hear about not only at the national level, but you're also going to hear it on the state level and the local level. So those three branches are legislative branch, which on the national level is Congress. On a state level is your state Senate and your state House of Representatives. And on the local level is your city, your county, and your town councils. Okay, they are the lawmakers. The next is the executive branch, which on the national level is the presidency. On the state level is your governor. And on the local levels are your mayor or your county commissioners or on your town levels are your town boards. And then the last is the judicial branch, which is the Supreme Court on the national level, your Supreme Court of each state, and then your courts on the county level, the city court, and the town courts. And so all three of these branches provide the checks and balances within the government, and it's what our government from the top to bottom has been built on. However, there are other pieces that play a role. I won't go as far as saying they're part of the government, but they are different organizations or different things that also have bearing on our system of government. Those, for example, would be political parties, interest groups, the federal bureaucracy, the media, or what some call the fourth estate, and in recent years, what's called, quote-unquote, the fifth estate, or social media, like bloggers, people who write and speak out, podcasters, against the government or to keep the government in check, but that aren't necessarily media because they or we or I or us or them speak out against media as well. 
And so we will be taking a look at all of this and how it plays together. But to break it down, to make it a little bit easier to follow, right now I'm just going to be talking about the national level of government or the federal level, and we'll talk about state and local later on in the series in other episodes. But right now, just talking on the legislative branch of the national or federal government, that's Congress. And Congress is the legislative branch of the federal government. And the Congress was first written about in the United States Constitution in Article 1, Section 1. And that says, All legislative powers herein granted shall be vested in a Congress of the United States, which shall consist of a Senate and a House of Representatives. This is what's known as a bicameral system. Basically, we have an upper chamber, which is the Senate, and a lower chamber, which is the House of Representatives. To be elected to the House of Representatives, you must be a legal resident of the state that you want to represent. You must have lived there for at least seven years, and you have to be 25 years of age or older. Representation in the House of Representatives is determined by population. So there are some states that have one representative and other states have multiple representatives, with California being the largest state and most populated, having 52 representatives in the House of Representatives. Indiana currently has nine congressional districts, which means we have nine representatives in the House. From 1873 to 1933, we had 13 representatives, but that number decreased due to decrease in population. This number is determined based off the census every 10 years. At the time of this recording in 2019, there are currently 435 members elected to the House of Representatives. The United States Senate, however, has 100 elected members because each state has two elected senators. The requirements to be a senator is you must be 30 years of age or older, and you must be a resident of the state that you want to represent and have lived there for at least nine years. A United States senator's term lasts for six years versus a representative's term limit only lasts for two years. Both the Senate and the House members can serve an unlimited amount of times, which we can argue the pros and cons of that later. Ultimately, both the House and the Senate do the same thing. They make laws. However, both have features that the other does not have. For example, the House can impeach the president and other federal officials. That is not necessarily meant they're kicked out of office. It just means the House determines that they have done something wrong. Once that determination is made, that case then goes before the Senate. The Senate holds a trial. If the House impeaches a president, then the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court presides over the Senate's trial of the president. If the House impeaches any other federal official, the Vice President presides over that trial in the Senate. Quick little fun fact, the Vice President of the United States is also called the President 
of the Senate. And I'm sure we'll have more impeachment talk later on as current events dictate. One of the biggest powers that the House of Representatives has that the Senate does not have is laid out in the Constitution, Article 1, under Section 7. All bills for raising revenue shall originate in the House of Representatives. This is big as it plays into taxes on the federal level. Senate, on the other hand, has the power to ratify treaties, which requires a two-third vote of the Senate. A major responsibility of the Senate is to confirm the executive branch appointments. For example, Supreme Court and the President's Cabinet. There are over a thousand positions that the Senate must confirm. But beyond these differences, the main purpose of Congress is to be the legislative body and make laws. So why have the two different chambers? Well, it makes perfect perfect sense when you look at the reasoning behind why the framers of the Constitution argued about this in the first place. Framers from larger states with more people wanted a proportional representation. Meanwhile, framers from smaller states with less population wanted an equal representation. That debate, along with the fear of the government having too much power allowed for the Great Compromise, and this is what they came up with so that the Congress would not have too much power. They set this up as an intra-branch checks and balance in a roundabout way. The fear that the government could have too much power was always on their minds and should be on ours today. There are many, many more areas that we can take a look at with the legislative branch and definitely look at it more on the state and local level. Levels. However, that was just a brief look at the legislative branch of the federal government and how the Congress, acting as House and Senate, act on the national level. We'll dive deeper into the legislative branch in state and local government as we continue on in our series over the next several episodes. Now let's take a look at the executive branch from the national level of government. The executive branch is where the president is at. The presidency is the executive branch or the president is the executive officer of the federal government. The president is elected every four years, as we know, and is responsible for enforcing the laws that Congress makes. The president is also the commander-in-chief of the armed forces and has the power to conduct foreign relations. The president also appoints the attorney general, which is the chief law enforcement officer for the United States of America. Taking a look at what the Constitution says about the chief executive of the United States, it says that you must be 35 years of age or older. You also must be a natural-born citizen of the United States. So you cannot have came here from another country, become a citizen, and then become president. At this point, that is not something that is allowed under the Constitution of the United States of America. 
It is also important to note that the president is not actually elected by the popular vote or the vote of the people of the United States. Rather, there is an electoral college, and the reason that this has been put in place has confounded people who have participated in government and politics for a very, very long time, and not something that we're actually going to talk about at this moment, but you have to understand that the reason that this currently goes on is that it was built into the Constitution by the framers because honestly, they really didn't trust the popular vote and the Electoral College is set up to ensure that smaller states do have a vote in the President of the United States. The president, as the chief executive, has a lot of different powers. They have the powers to send military off to fight foreign wars and to defend America's way of life. The president also has the power to appoint federal judges and Supreme Court judges to the United States once confirmed by the Senate. The president of the United States is also the chief diplomat for our country. The president can also propose a law, however, he needs a Congress member or senator to introduce the law because that's the legislative branch of the government. The president also has executive power, which means he's to ensure that the laws of the land are carried out. This power is also sometimes questioned because it's not exactly well defined, however, it is a power that the president as well as governors on the state level, mayors on the city level, commissioners on the county level, so at the state and local levels also have. And it's the power that people oftentimes question because, like I said, they're not very well defined, but it is a perk, privilege, and power of being the chief executive of each level of government. The Constitution of the United States of America also requires that the President from time to time inform Congress of the State of the Union. This takes the form of an annual State of the Union address. Generally, this was performed through a letter given to Congress. However, George Washington addressed Congress, but it was Woodrow Wilson who started addressing both houses of Congress through a speech, and it's something that has been televised in recent history. The State of the Union is generally given in the first couple months of the year. This is where the president is able to talk about victories over the last year and give a look forward for what he hopes to accomplish throughout the year. It's more or less a way for the president to set the policy for the upcoming year. The president also has the power to veto laws passed by Congress. The president also has the power to convene special sessions of Congress. The president can also issue pardons for folks that have been locked up or convicted or otherwise guilty of certain crimes. You might notice that the president doesn't have a whole lot of powers, and that's how it was intended. Keep in mind that the Founding Fathers, the framers of the Constitution, had just got done dealing with the King of England and did not want to put someone in power who had a whole lot of power or who would act like a dictator or a king. So they limited those powers and made sure that that was something that couldn't happen. The Founding Fathers and the framers of the Constitution happened to be 
big proponents of limited government. And I tend to feel like that's where we should focus on today, taking the power of the government back down and limiting the power and giving the power and the freedoms back to the people. Another thing that you'll notice is I didn't talk about term limits. The Constitution did not outline limits or not for the president. However, George Washington only served two terms as president. Washington felt very strongly about a president needing to serve limited number of times. Washington did not feel bound by a two-term limit law. However, he stated that the stability of the republic required a contested presidential election with a choice of candidates. He stated that that would not happen if he ran again. He also was concerned about winning and possibly dying in office, which would elevate the vice president to the office, and he would be there without having been elected. The third president, Thomas Jefferson, started a tradition of presidential term limits by refusing to run a third time in 1808. However, in 1940, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, president from 19 1933 through 1945 became the only president to break the tradition of winning a third term in 1940 and a fourth term in 1944. This gave rise to a successful move to formalize the traditional two-term limit by amending the United States Constitution. As ratified in 1951, the 22nd Amendment provides that no person shall be elected to the office of president more than twice. The new amendment explicitly did not apply to the incumbent, President Harry Truman. However, Truman's close advisors convinced him not to seek a third term regardless, pointing to his age, his failing abilities, and his poor showings at the polls. From that point forward, term limits were set for the President of the United States. Alright, well this seems like a pretty good place to wrap up for this episode. So just to recap, so far we've covered an introduction into what we will be looking at in this series. We've covered the three branches of the national government just quickly in passing, being the legislative, the executive, and the judicial. And then we went into detail with the legislative, the Congress, and the executive, the president. In part two of this series, which will actually not be the next consecutive episode, rather it will be two episodes from now, episode 60, we will pick up with the last branch of the national government, the judicial branch. We will talk about that, go into a little bit of detail, at which point we will then start to focus on state-level government, and we will look at how the three branches of government work on the state level, how they act, what they're supposed to do, what their duties are, before moving into the three branches of government on the local level. From there, we will take a look at how political parties play their role in local, state, and national government. We will take a look at special interest groups, and we will start to look at how different offices on the local, state, and national levels 
play with each other, what they're supposed to be doing, what they're not supposed to be doing, and how you as a citizen can interact with these officials and these offices. We'll start to cover our rights as citizens who live in a city, town, or county. We will look at our rights as it relates to our role in the state, and we will look at our rights, how they interact on the national level, which let me clue you in on a little early piece of the puzzle here. They're just the same. Our rights as American citizens are the same on the national level, the state level, and the local level. And for any local official to try to tell you differently, well, they are just dead wrong. So we'll be taking a look at that. We'll, of course, go into voting, what happens in elections, how one can file to run for office on a state and local level, how someone can run for office on a national level. We will look at who is in charge of the elections on local, state, and federal levels. And if you have any questions, anything that you would like answered specifically, if you have any thoughts or input on anything that we've covered now, or you want us to cover something, please do not hesitate to reach out to myself or the producers, and you can do so by calling the show at 765 546 9796. You can call me, you can text me, or you can email the show at khbilbrey, that's khbilbrey at gmail.com. Leave your name, your number. If you'd like to talk on the show, we can do that. If you just want to ask a question or a concern, we can absolutely take care of that by email or by including your concern, your thought, or your question on the show. We'll cover what you want to know. A little housekeeping information. These civics episodes and this series will always be on the Saturday or the weekend show. So our Tuesday episodes will continue to be breaking news, current events, and what's going on in Indiana and abroad. We will be dealing with what we normally do on Perception is Reality, as well as on the live episodes on Facebook at Christopher H. Bilbrey on Facebook or facebook.com backslash Bilbrey318. Of course, you can always find us there. These civics episodes will always be for the foreseeable future, the even number episodes. For example, this intro to American Civics is episode 58. The next episode in this series will be episode 60. And then the third part will be episode 62. And so on from there until we wrap up with the series. So that's kind of a way for you to know, hey, it's Saturday. It's the even episode. It's time for part two, part three, part four, or so on of the Perception is Reality Civics episode. Again, this was number one. 
intro to American Civics, and we will definitely look forward to our next episode in this series. We do have a lot of other information to cover on the Tuesday episodes because 2020 is knocking on the door and this current administration in a lot of areas are getting ready to walk out the door, thank God, and we are looking at transition teams and looking at a new administration taking over in a lot of different areas, so we'll be seeing how that is going. We also have a court case coming up to remove a sitting city councilor who does not have the authority to sit where they're sitting. That court case is on December 5th at 9 a.m. in Delaware County Circuit Court 2. Anyone that hears this is welcome. Please come and show your support. We also have, three days before that court date, a city council meeting in Muncie where we're going to need a lot of people to come because that gentleman will be sitting there in an illegal fashion unless the council chooses to do something. Of course, we have whatever's going on in Anderson we'll be looking into, and we have some weirdness going on in Union City, Indiana. So we have a lot going on besides these civics episodes, so keep all that in mind, stay tuned here at Perception is Reality with Christopher H. Bilbrey and on the Facebook page. Spread the show information, tell all your friends, and remember, you're listening to Perception is Reality. I'm Christopher H. Bilbrey, and we'll be right back after this quick break. Perception. Perception is reality. Reality. Perception is reality. Reality. Well, that's going to do it for us for this episode 58, Intro into American Civics. I hope you enjoyed it. As we move along on the Saturday even number episodes, you will learn more and you will pick up information that pertains to our fight for bettering government, specifically local government, with citizen involvement. Be sure to share this show. Let's pick up the numbers. Tell everyone you know. Continue to help grow the listener base. Stay active. Stay involved. Stay safe. God bless. And I'll look forward to talking to you again real soon. You've been listening to Perception is Reality with Christopher H. Bilbrey. Bilbrey. Tune in, like, and subscribe at perception.fireside.fm. Hook up on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Bilbrey318 and on Twitter at PISRBilbrey. Email khbilbrey at gmail.com or get off your butt and call the show at 765 546 9796. Till next time, remember perception, perception is, is reality. Reality. This has been Perception is Reality with Christopher H. Bilbrey, where we aim for better government through citizen involvement.